Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Peter Holt, the CEO of the Joint Chiropractic, the largest franchise network of chiropractic clinics in the world with approximately 600 clinics system-wide. The Joint is publicly traded on NASDAQ, and is based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Previously, Peter was president and CEO for Tasty Delight, where he transformed the New York City-based licensed outlets into a complete business format franchise system. He has been active in the franchise community for more than 30 years, helping iconic companies such as Mailboxes, etc., now the UPS store, Tasty Delight, and Planet Smoothie manage their franchise systems in both domestic and overseas markets. We hope you enjoy the show. So Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's really a pleasure. Maybe what we could do to kick off for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background. Sure, RJ, thank you very much for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. A little bit about my background is I have been building and managing franchise systems for really over 30 years. It's kind of a funny story. I started my career in franchise in 1986 when I was looking for a job in Washington, D.C. and got hired by the International Franchise Association, which is a trade association that represents the interests of all businesses at franchise. And at the time, I knew very little about franchising. McDonald's is a franchise and, I, franchise, and I don't really like McDonald's food. And I knew even less what a trade association did. And in that process, my job was to recruit members, run around the country, meet with franchisors, convince them to join the association. And in that process, just absolutely fell head over heels in love with the business model of franchising. So I was working there for about five years, uh, was hired away by one of the franchisors that was really focused on international development and frozen yogurt. And that I've just continued down that path, worked for a number of really great companies. From there, I actually went to Mailbox, etc., which is now, of course, the UPS store. Uh, headed up their international development, and then ultimately were in charge of all sales for the organization, and then part of the acquisition by UPS and then the transition team, and have just gone on since. Fantastic. And looking at your kind of track record is really a remarkable kind of sequence of events. It makes sense when you first started learning about franchising, you fell in love with it. And it seems that there is a fascination, I think, broadly speaking, among kind of the entrepreneurial minded about franchising because it's you're essentially taking one concept and quickly replicating it, which means, of course, fast business growth. One thing is that's always interested me is what are the elements of a concept that you think make for an excellent franchise opportunity? Right. It's such a great question. And again, just a little background. If you think of this country, there's roughly about 4,000 franchise systems that are in operation. And they're representing probably 250 different industries that are all utilizing the methodology of franchising. And certainly over the years, what I've learned more than anything else is that there is nothing intuitive about the franchise model. In the sense that, okay, if I'm a franchisee, I pay, sign that franchise agreement, I pay my $40,000 franchise fee, and suddenly I know how to be a franchisee. Any more than as a franchisor, which is regulated by the FTC, 
we have to have this franchise disclosure document. And so I have that document. I give it to my prospective franchisees and, you know, they pay me and they sign the agreement and doesn't mean I know how to be a franchisor and that anybody can learn it, but it takes time and it really needs to focus on understanding the roles and the responsibility of the franchisee and the franchisor that really makes for a remarkably successful concept, assuming two things. And this is really the answer to your question is that, one, you've got to be working with a concept that has legs, that it's not a fad, it's a trend. It's something that has relevancy in the consumer's mind and that has that opportunity to continue to grow and which is going to be accelerated by the very methodology of what you're using to build that business. But you may be the most talented franchise executive on the planet, but if the concept that you're driving is dead, then you can beat that horse to death forever and it still doesn't go anywhere. And so that other side of it is that it's so important to understand how to build and manage this franchise system. And there is just, it is truly the most unique relationship I think exists in business. These franchisees are not my employees. This isn't a union. These are people who are coming together, deciding to make a change in their life, that they want to take a significant portion of their life savings and invest in something that's important to them. And that creates this really interesting dynamic that if you can, again, channel that energy, you're working with a concept that has legs, that has an opportunity, then can be extraordinary in unleashing the power of this business model. So drilling into kind of the various concepts that you've been a part of, you have uh, mailboxes or I guess uh, mailing you know, capabilities, you have uh, frozen yogurt, and now you're more in the healthcare services realm. Which of those do you think is the most exciting and why? <laughs> well, again, a great question. I would argue the most exciting is what I'm doing right now with the joint. There's just so many interesting things about it is that, you know, number one, okay, again, concept. This is a concept that actually is exploding. The power and efficacy of chiropractic is really, is incredible. The challenge is nobody knows about it. And so that if you go back in time, chiropractic has actually been seen more as a baby boomer like myself is that it's historically seen as kind of voodoo medicine or quackery or is this real medicine? And so that there's been some stereotypes and some kind of stigmas that are needing to be overcome to really understand how chiropractic care can help people. Now, the fact is it does. And that if anybody questions the efficacy of chiropractic, just go to one of our 600 clinics, sit in the clinic and watch people. On average, you're going to see 60 to 80 people walk in that door that day, watch them walk in in pain, watch them walk out with less pain or no pain. And that's a result of the fact that it works. The majority of America don't know that. 50% of the American people literally don't even know what the word means. 30% are scared. You know, they understand that it's some kind of back cracking or bone crunching and, ooh, don't touch my neck. And then about 16% of the people actually have used it in the last 12 months. And so when our whole model is taking that incredibly powerful chiropractic care moving it away from the medical facility or the office building where really nobody knows where it is, putting it accessible, making it affordable, no appointment, super convenient. And what's happening is people are coming in more and more. And so if you look at the comps of this company, for example, and that's, again, in a retail concept, one of the most powerful tools we have to measure performance is our comparable sales. Any clinic open more than 13 months. And that 
even taking into the account of the pandemic, if you look at our stacked comps for the last four months or four years, including the pandemic, which our comps were 9% for the full year, is our stacked comp rate is 80% over a four-year period, which is remarkable in that retail setting where this is traditional retail. So it's the small box. It's a thousand square feet. It's anchored by the supermarket. And so you have this real opportunity because as people more and more use the service, understand it, they invite their friends and family. The referral is a huge way to generate new patients in our business. So you have a great experience. Back pain is just so prevalent in this country. 80% of us at one point will experience back pain. We'll spend $90 billion on back pain. Chiropractic is roughly about $16 billion of that $90 billion. And so when you have that positive experience, what do you do? You tell your friends. And so, this again, this continues to lead more people coming in the door. Then if you kind of fast forward, our base is not necessarily baby movers who overcome their stigma about chiropractic. It's the young people. They don't have that stigma. They're the ones that are still, they're addressing, they're trying to address their pain in more holistic and natural ways. And so they're looking for concepts like ourselves. And so if you look at our patient base is right now, 44% of it is millennial. 11% is Gen Z. Our median age of our million, over a million patients we have is, is 37 and getting younger. And so, again, it's the younger people that are driving the business, that are utilizing the service, that's making it more successful, both for their pain relief and, of course, for the growth of the business. Yeah, it's fantastic how fast you've grown. I think if I have my facts correct, you really started the expansion and franchising started maybe in, the, in 2010, around that time frame. And today you're over... Five, is it 550? Yeah, that we closed at the year of 579. We've continued to open this year. So we're, we're brushing up against 600 clinics in 33 states. I mean, that's remarkable. And so you had mentioned the uh, surprising fact that it's a younger demographic that's, I guess, frequenting. And so was it truly word of mouth? Is it the fact that there's the locations are strategically placed? Is it the marketing? I mean, that growth is, is tremendous. It's a combination of things. If we're just talking for a minute on new patient growth, I mean, we really, it's not complicated. There's three sources of new patients. And the one and most important one is what I've mentioned, referral. And, you know, again, as a baby boomer, when, if I'm moving around and going to a new city, how do I choose my doctor, my dentist, you know, the healthcare providers I'm looking for? I talk to friends and family. I ask them, who's your dentist, who's your doctor? And based on that information, without referral, then I'll go try that new dentist or that doctor or chiropractor. Younger generations, they're not talking to friends and family. You know what they're doing? They're talking to Dr. Google. They're going online. They're doing that same validation research, but it's all online-based. So they're looking at the reviews. They're looking at the information provided on your website. They're looking, you're doing the search, paying, close to home, chiropractic, and seeing what's coming up. And so all that same validation process now is being done online. So the second and growingly more important source of new patients for us, absolutely, is our digital marketing campaign. And so that we are spending more and more time on whether it's SEO or just our social media platforms, all the ways in which that we can be there when this group of people who is continually having more pain and they're doing their research and that they can stumble into the joint. 
And then the third source of new patients for us is really what is that just that traditional source of patients or customers that utilize all those little boxes that are in a row next to the supermarket. And so what you're doing is what I'll call just that guerrilla marketing activity. So you're going to do coupons in the neighborhood. You're going to reach out to the gym. You're going to sponsor the Little League team. You're going to do all these activities that anchor your concept into the community that you serve so that when they're in pain, oh my gosh, there's the joint. That's not cannabis. That's chiropractic. I'll go in. And so that 25, 30% of our new patients are really generated from that activity. So those are the sources of new patients. What truly drives the business is they continue to come back. You know, And then we have this kind of long-term relationship where you can join as a member. And then you end up getting four adjustments a month. And 85% of the sales of the average clinic is generated specifically from that subscription. Mm. Unlike other franchises, this is unique in that it requires a skilled professional. Are most of the franchisees existing chiropractors or are they kind of new to the field and they train? Uh, surprisingly, they're not typically the, the doctor of chiropractic. There are. So if you look at our base of franchisees, about 25% of them actually are the doctor of chiropractic. What that means is 75% of them are business people who are hiring the doctor to serve the needs of the patient. And so what you're finding is that that is one of the challenges that we face in terms of people looking at this as a franchise opportunity is like, what, you mean that chiropractic care is franchised? I never even heard of that. And so it would never occur to them that, oh my gosh, if I was interested in buying a franchise, that it could be chiropractic care. So we're actually the first company in the world that's actually franchised or branded chiropractic care. And let's assume you overcome that hurdle. And then just as you said, is it what? I don't have to be a doctor and I can be a franchisee of a joint? And of course, the answer is yes. And that you can hire that doctor. So those are some of the, the leaps people have to make. What you'll find is because health and wellness is just such an increasingly significant source of interest and development and business. And so let's say you're doing your research and trying to decide, I want to be in health and wellness. I don't want to do kind of the fast food kind of thing. And, and so you're going to stumble into different concepts in health and wellness, maybe find chiropractic and say, oh, wow, I never, it never occurred to me that that would be the, something I could invest in. So thinking about along those lines, if you're, say, there's a, an executive out there who's looking to retire from their corporate position and pick up a franchise and they're deciding, they're evaluating, you know, say, across five to a dozen. And so you have obviously the food franchises and then you have those in other categories. As, as you mentioned earlier in the call, there's, there's a ton of categories you could choose right. from. Thinking about the joint chiropractic, how does it compare in terms of, and we don't have to get into too far into the details, but in terms of you know, the amount of investment versus the payback period and, and how, basically how profitable can this be for a franchisee? Well, and what I would say is that most of my career in this small box retail space, and there's just so many different types of franchises. And so you, it's hard to be just super generalized. So for example, that you may want to invest in a Hilton hotel franchise. That's a different level investment than this small box retail space we're talking about. And that really is typically around a quarter of a million dollar investment, in our case specifically, between the time to pay the franchise fee, to build out the clinics, the time to break even. That franchisee is probably looking at putting about a quarter of a million dollars on the line. And most often they'll have maybe a third liquid, two thirds finance. And in that space, I would say that the unit economics of the joint model are some of the strongest that I've had the honor to work with. And there's a couple of reasons for that, because it's a very, very simple model. It's that we have the sticky revenue from the membership. 
We're continually bringing in new patients. The existing patients we have are staying with us longer. So that's what's driving those comp sales. And so that you have some really strong unit economics that drive this business. We probably right now have an average break-even in six months. So once you've opened that clinic, you're pretty much going to be at break-even in six months. And then the typical franchisee today can capture that full investment in probably about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. That's great. And how's it been during the pandemic? I mean, I imagine there's a portion of customers that you know are hypersensitive to any potential virus that's out there. So it is... Has there been a little bit of a downturn? But I imagine it's going to come roaring back if there, if there was one. Well, like all of us, and it's kind of interesting. We're almost a year into, so maybe a little over a year into the pandemic. And if you can actually get yourself in that mindset of March of last year, it was a panic. It was a panic for all of us. None of us knew what was going to happen. They didn't know how it affect our business. It was terrifying. And if you looked at some of the, the forecasts that my CFO was sharing with me, of this is what we could potentially be facing. It was horrific. And I think like so many of these businesses, our worst month was April. If we go into Q1, we had a really strong two and a half months of the quarter and then punctured by those last two weeks. We historically have been running around 25% comps. In Q1, we, ran, we were 15% comps for the full quarter. Q2, it dropped to a negative six. And again, just it was just a, a halt. We very quickly came out and said that, you know what, chiropractic care, working with the chiropractic association is in fact an essential healthcare service and we will be open wherever and whenever possible. And so back again in April, we had probably the greatest number of our clinics actually closed. It was roughly around 10% of the unit actually closed for a variety of reasons. One instance, the state of Colorado was really the only state that truly shut us down for a period. So for about 36 days, you know, the governor there came out and said, listen, that we really want to protect all the PPE, no medical services unless it's acute or saving the person's life can be performed in this state. And that basically even talking specifically to chiropractic is that if that adjustment didn't save your life, (laughs) then, then you can't do it. And so for 36 days, we closed down. They changed their directive a little bit and allowed us to reopen with some other controls. But other than that, virtually across the country, we were able to stay open. Now, that's great. But what's most importantly is that our doctors were also willing to serve. Because, again, this is a very touching business. They have to be willing to come in and work in the clinic and serve the patients. And they did. And they did in record numbers. Our doctors truly saw themselves on the front line of the healthcare crisis of this country and helping keep people out of more traditional locations of medicine so they could govern or could battle the pandemic and help people stay out of that more traditional medical system. So that's great. So our doctors showed up, our clinic stayed open. Now the most important part of this is the patients. And so if the patients truly did not see this as essential to their healthcare, it wouldn't have made any difference. And what was so clear is they did. And so if you look at, as we went into Q3, so negative six in Q2, in Q3, our comp sales for any clinic open more than 13 months was 12%. And then we just recently reported on Q4, it rose to 16% in the fourth quarter and giving us a total blend for 9% for the full year. And what we saw was that our existing patients who understood the experience, believed in chiropractic, saw that as essential to their healthcare, they were there. And the metric that was most negatively impacted, quite frankly, was our new patient counts. And that kind of makes sense to me because let's say you're at home, you're in pain, you're battling the pandemic. How much pain do you have to be in before you're willing to open that door and go to a chiropractor for the first time? And so we did see a drop on our new patient count. 
It was offset by those patients who actually came in, converted at record-breaking numbers for us. So when we talk about a conversion, let's say you're a new patient, you come in for the first time. Let's say you've got lower back pain. It's not unusual. The doctor's going to say, you know, I need to see you probably two or three times for the next several weeks. And then you'll join as a member. So you'll convert. And uh, we had record-breaking conversion numbers across the system. And, and I think part of that wasn't because we changed our process. It was because that those patients who came in were in so much pain as they were converting at a rate that was different in a pre-COVID environment. And they stayed with us. So the resiliency of this business model in the middle of this pandemic has, for me, been remarkable. In that same year, in the middle of the pandemic, we sold 121 new franchise licenses compared to 126 the year before. And then we opened up 70 new franchise units compared to 71 the year before. So yes, we lost some of the momentum from the pandemic, but to post those kind of numbers of growth in the middle of a pandemic couldn't be a stronger indication of just the resiliency of this business model. (laughs) We're coming up on time here, and I typically like to ask a couple more questions to close out the conversation. One is about a challenging time you face, but I I feel like we we already covered that. So I'd like to swap that one out learning a little bit more about your leadership style, because you've been around the franchising industry for more than 30 years, obviously been very successful. And so are there a few things that you keep in mind, either on a daily or periodic basis, on how you like to lead or what type of leader you want to be? No, it's such a great question. It's such an essential question. And, And obviously, you have to think a lot about that. I don't think you just kind of stumble into leadership, or maybe if you do, that creates its own challenges. But it is really important to understand, okay, what is your style? How do you want to motivate people? When we talk about leadership, everybody starts with vision. You know, yes, your job is to create a vision, and, and people can rally around that vision, whether it's a franchisee or your corporate staff, and your capacity to articulate that vision in a way people can respond to, believe in, and be motivated by is essential quality of leadership. But that's not enough. I and mean, we got a lot of visionaries out there that don't know how to run a company. You know? And so I think that the second aspect of leadership that I think an enormous amount about is if you know what one of our primary responsibilities are, whatever level of leadership that you are in is the allocation of resources because you never have enough. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a $40 billion company or a startup franchise is that we're all carefully trying to use the resources we have, put them in the right place so that we get the outcome we're looking for. And you have to make choices and both human resources and financial resources. And so your job as a leader is to ensure that you are allocating the resources that is going to best help you execute that vision. The third piece I think an enormous about is our people. And in terms of, you know, people are the most important asset we have. Well, those are all just great words. But, I mean, how are you treating them? And how are you, number one, trying to draw in the the highest quality people that can come into your network to support your vision? But most times we get focused on, okay, you're doing all these things right. And, you know, but these little teeth, let's say I'm doing your review and I I just said, okay, you've done this right and this right and that right. But, you know, here's your areas of weaknesses I really want you to focus on. Well, I would argue that is the that's definitely not where you want to spend your time and energy because what you want to focus is on the strengths of that person. Yes, you'll work around the weakness, but it's not bringing their weakness up to their strength. It's making sure that you're focusing on the strengths that person has and giving them the guidance 
to be able to accelerate whatever aspect that you're asking them for. Is it operations? Is it marketing? Is it IT? And so you're creating this space where we're talking about how do I make you more productive? How do I make sure you have the resources to ensure that we are achieving this goal? Let's assume that we all have that shared vision of what that goal is. So what do I need to view to make your job easier, better, more productive? And so that's kind of the framework in which I kind of think through a leadership matrix. Fantastic. And last question, and somewhat related to the previous one, is is there someone that you particularly admire for the way they lead or that you try to model yourself after? Perhaps someone you've worked with along the way or, or someone you've in the public eye that you've observed or, or read about? Is there a person that, that you really think very highly of? Well, there's a lot of people I think very highly of, and I feel very blessed in terms of having some really strong mentors in my own life. And then also, uh, I'm a voracious reader and watch and listen and learn. And so you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. One of the things I love about franchising is I'll talk about, you know, franchising is it's the business of selling mistakes. Because you're creating this operating model based on all those mistakes you made and then providing to the franchisee and say, okay, still you're going to make mistakes, but you know what? Don't make these. Use this model. And so when I think about my own career and who's really influenced it, without question, it starts with my father. And you know what he gave me is these incredible core values of trust, of integrity, of striving for excellence, of really, you don't make that up. And he lived that. We talked about it and he lived that. And I think he gave me a foundation that has served my life. Then as I think just over the years, there's a number of people that I could talk about, but one would be, it's actually one of our board members is Jim Amos, who's been a a highly successful executive in franchising. And I've known him for almost 30 years and we've worked a number of different organizations together. And that just his leadership style, his understanding of franchising, that his, his capacity to build, set a vision and build a business around that franchise model has been a really important mentoring for me. And I think through those times to help guide the decisions that I make today. Excellent. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. This has been very insightful and uh, I know our audience will get a lot out of this. So thank you. Thank you, RJ. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate the opportunity. 